I like that. I don't think I've heard it before, but I like that. Well, today we're going to continue our series in the Old Testament, and we are going to return to the city of Nineveh. Now, there were two prophets who prophesied to Nineveh. The first was Jonah. And Jonah prophesied to Nineveh in about the 8th century B.C. You recall that God called Jonah to that assignment. And the Scripture says, The word of the Lord came to Jonah the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, the great city, and cry against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. So that was the assignment that God gave to Jonah. I want you to go to Nineveh and preach. Well, Jonah was not excited about his assignment. He did not want to do that because Nineveh was the enemy of Israel. And so he rebelled against God. The Scripture says, But Jonah rose up to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. So the Lord called Jonah then, saying, Jonah, I want you to go to Nineveh and preach my word to them. But because they were the enemy of Israel, the Bible says that he rose up to flee to Tarshish. He went in the opposite direction. Now, you recall the story. He was swallowed by a fish, and he ended up in Nineveh. Now, while he was there, here is the message he preached. Then Jonah began to go through the city one day's walk. And he cried out and said, Yet forty days and Nineveh will be overthrown. Now, I'm sure that he preached that with great gusto and authority because that's exactly what he wanted to happen to Nineveh. Yet forty days and Nineveh will be overthrown. That was the message that Jonah preached. However, unfortunately for Jonah, the people repented. They turned to the Lord, and there was a great revival that occurred as a result of his going there and preaching. Now, those who turned to the Lord in time died, and their descendants after them returned to their sin. And now then God raises up the next prophet to Nineveh, who was Nahum. And he preached to Nineveh about 150 years after Jonah had led the great revival that happened in Nineveh. Now, Nahum's name means consolation. It is said that he is from Elkosh. There are some Bible scholars who believe that was Capernaum because the name Capernaum literally means village of Nahum. His message was a message of judgment. Judgment did not follow Jonah's preaching. There was revival, but judgment is coming this time. Matthew Henry wrote, They repented of their repentance. Isn't that interesting? They repented of their repentance, returned with the dog to his vomit, and at length grew worse than ever they had been. That's what happened to them. There was a great revival that came after Jonah preached to them. But then after those people died, their descendants turned back to sin again. And so now Nahum addresses them. Take your Bibles, turn with me to Nahum, chapter 1, beginning in verse number 1. The oracle of Nineveh, the book of the vision of Nahum, the Elkoshite. A jealous and avenging God is the Lord. 
The Lord is avenging and wrathful. The Lord takes vengeance on his adversaries and he reserves wrath for his enemies. The Lord is slow to anger and great in power. And the Lord will by no means leave the guilty unpunished. In whirlwind and storm is his way and clouds are the dust beneath his feet. He rebukes the sea and makes it dry. He dries up all the rivers. Bashan and Carmel wither. The blossoms of Lebanon wither. Mountains quake because of him and the hills dissolve. Indeed, the earth is upheaved by his presence. The world and all the inhabitants in it. Who can stand before his indignation? Who can endure the burning of his anger? His wrath is poured out like fire and the rocks are broken up by him. The Lord is good. A stronghold in the day of trouble and he knows those who take refuge in him. But with an overflowing flood, he will make a complete end of its sight and will pursue his enemies into darkness. The message of Nahum to Nineveh was a message of judgment. Now, we are introduced to the judge there in verse number 2. A jealous and avenging God is the Lord. The Lord is avenging and wrathful. The Lord takes vengeance on his adversaries and he reserves wrath for all his enemies. Now, wait a minute. That doesn't sound like our understanding of God, does it? I mean, when we think of God, we think of Him as being loving and kind and merciful and gracious. What is this all about? Because Nahum here is describing God to the Ninevites. That doesn't sound like God to most of us. And I'm sure that it doesn't sound like God to Rob Bell. Rob Bell recently wrote a book called Love's, Love Waits and uh, Love Wins. And he says that in, in his book, he embraces universalism. Universalism is the belief that all people are going to be saved. So he does not then believe in a hell. Now, parenthetically, here is my fear as a pastor. I think most of us would not admit it, but we believe in universalism. The reason I say that is because we do not have evangelism on our hearts. We, we just believe that everybody somehow is going to be saved, that everything is going to work out. And that's what Rob Bell wrote about in his book. He wrote, A staggering number of people have been taught that a select few Christians will spend forever in a peaceful, joyous place called heaven while the rest of humanity spends forever in torment and punishment in hell with no chance for anything better. This is misguided and toxic and ultimately subverts the contagious spread of Jesus' message of love, peace, forgiveness, and joy that our world desperately needs to hear. So his position then concerning God, his understanding of God, is that he does not punish sin. And I am fearful that many of us believe the same thing. That we can sin, disobey the Lord without consequences for our sin. Now, that stands in contradiction to what the Scripture teaches it stands in contradiction to our tradition, and it stands in contradiction to what Charles Spurgeon wrote. 
Spurgeon wrote, He who does not believe that God will punish sin will not believe that he will pardon it through the blood of his son. So in this passage of Scripture, Nahum is describing God in a manner with which most of us are probably not comfortable. He says that he's jealous. God is jealous. Do you think of God as being jealous? That seems confusing to us that God is jealous. And the reason for it is because we confuse and misunderstand the difference between envy and jealousy. Now, God is not envious. W. Vines defines envy as the feeling of displeasure produced by witnessing or hearing of the advantage or prosperity of others. Now, envy then means that I don't want you to prosper. Envy means that I want what you have. It's not that I really want it. I just don't want you to have it. But that is envy. God is not envious. The Bible says that he is jealous. And the word jealous means that he is protective of that that belongs to him. Do you see the difference between jealousy and envy? God is not envious, but he is jealous. Now, you see that in Paul's letter to the Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse number 2, For I am jealous for you with a godly jealousy, for I betrothed you to one husband, that to Christ I might present you as a pure virgin. So God then is not envious, desiring what someone else has, but he is jealous protecting that that is rightfully his. So he says he's jealous. Then he says that he is avenging. Well, that's another characteristic that seems strange to us, that God is an avenging God. Now, the reason we have problems there is because we have always been told that revenge is wrong. Revenge is wrong when it is carried out by one who does not have the authority to do so. For instance, if, if the bank were to short me $100, I don't have the authority to go down there and take $100 from the bank. I don't have that authority. Revenge is right when it is carried out by one who has the authority to do so. And that is, in our case, the government that has the authority to avenge that that is wrong. In fact, the Scripture says in Romans 13, 4, For it, speaking of government, for it is a minister of God to you for good. But if you do what is evil, be afraid, for it does not bear the sword for nothing, for it is a minister of God, an avenger, who brings wrath upon the one who practices evil. So you see, the government then has been given the authority to avenge that, that is wrong. Now, we all know the problem. Oftentimes, the government ends up on the wrong side of the equation. It seems that many times the government ends up protecting the criminal rather than the one who has been wrong. God has the authority to avenge. And then he says that he's wrathful. Now, that is another word that we confuse because we think of it in terms of retaliation, that someone does me wrong and then I retaliate. Martin Luther wrote something about that. He said, if I were God 
and the world treated me as it did Christ, I would kick the wretched thing to pieces. Now, see, that is, that is retaliation. And that's what oftentimes we want to do. Someone does me wrong. I want to retaliate. But the word here means retribution. His justice brings retribution. Now, that's what you see in Romans chapter 6, 23, when it says that the wages of sin is what? It's death. The wages of sin is death. Death, then, is the retribution for a disobedient life, for sin that is not forgiven. So we see the judge. It is God. might seem strange to you, but that is the God that Nahum presented to the Ninevites. Well, the judgment. If you recall, when we looked at Nineveh the first time, we said it was a very secure city. There was a wall that was built around the city of Nineveh that was a hundred feet tall. There were 1,500 watchtowers on that wall that were 200 feet high. Now, how are you going to, how are you going to judge, how are you going to conquer a city that is fortified as the city of Nineveh? How would that happen? God is going to judge. How does it happen? It is secure. It has a hundred-foot wall all the way around it. How can you do it? Nahum prophesied how it was going to happen. He said there was going to be a flood, verse number 8. But with an overflowing flood, he will make a complete end of its sight. So he is saying then that Nineveh is going to be destroyed with the flood. Nineveh was situated on the east bank of the Tigris River. About 50 years after this prophecy, the Babylonians besieged Nineveh for three years. On the third year, there was a heavy rain that began to come. The river began to swell, and in time, the waters collapsed a two-and-a-half-mile length of that wall. And now then they are vulnerable to the Babylonians, which is exactly what Nahum had prophesied, that it was going to be destroyed by a flood. So there was a flood that took place. And then they were plundered in chapter 2, verse number 9. Plunder the silver, plunder the gold, for there is no limit to the treasure, wealth from every kind of desirable object. So the prophecy was that there would be a flood, that they would be plundered, and that there would be a slaughter in chapter 3, verse number 3. Horsemen charging, swords flashing, spears gleaming, many slain, a mass of corpses and countless dead bodies. They stumble over the dead body. History records, so great was the multitude of the slain that the flowing stream mingled with their blood changed its color for a considerable distance. Nineveh was located very close to what we call Mosul, Iraq. It was uh, discovered, excavated in the mid-1800s. There are two large mounds there that mark the spot as to where Nineveh used to be. So we see the judgment. Nahum prophesied there would be a judgment. But we also see in here that though God judges sin, He extends mercy, both. In Romans chapter 11, verse number 22, Paul wrote, Behold then the kindness 
and severity of God. Do you understand that? Both the kindness and the severity of God. Nahum says that he's slow to anger in verse number 3. He says the Lord is slow to anger and great in power. His anger was slow. When Jonah went to Nineveh preaching the Word of God, the Bible says that people repented. Then the people of Nineveh believed in God, and they called a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest to the least of them. So when Jonah went and preached the message to them, the Bible says that they repented, and the Scripture says that God was merciful. In Jonah chapter 3, verse number 10, when God saw their deeds, that they turned from their wicked way, then God relented concerning the calamity which He had declared He would bring upon them, and He did not do it. God was slow to anger in dealing with Nineveh. God is slow to anger in dealing with us, is He not? The psalmist declared in Psalm 103.8, The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness. The point of that, I, I suppose that you, like I, can think of those many times you think, I wonder why God didn't kill me. Right? I mean, Joel and I are not the only two. I mean, you've done things in your life and you think, I wonder why God didn't just wipe me out. But He's slow to anger. And He's loving and kind. Point is that because God is slow to anger in His dealing with you, you are to be slow to anger in your dealing with others. If God is slow to anger in dealing with me, then when I deal with others, I also am to be slow to anger. He says that He's good in verse number 7. The Lord is good a stronghold in the day of trouble, and He knows those who take refuge in Him. You see, God deals with us righteously. Now, understand, the Bible says that He is kind and severe. There's both. There's mercy. There's justice. There's both. And He deals righteously with us. In Exodus chapter 34, verse number 7, it says, "...who, speaking of God, who keeps loving kindness for thousands, who forgives iniquity..." transgression, and sin. See, that, that has to do with the loving kindness of God, the mercy of God. But then it continues, yet He will by no means leave the guilty unpunished. And so God is just and merciful because He is righteous. And He says that He is our stronghold. That's what the verse said, He is our stronghold. Matthew Henry wrote, The same almighty power that is exerted for the terror and destruction of the wicked is engaged and shall be employed for the protection and satisfaction of His own people. He says that He is our refuge. Matthew Henry continues, In the day of public trouble, when God's judgments are in the earth, laying all waste... He will be a place of defense to those that by faith put themselves under His protection. Oh, what an encouraging word. When the world is coming apart, when we sometimes don't know which way to turn, what does the Scripture say? He is your stronghold and He is your refuge. 
We go to Him to find His protection. He is merciful to sinners, slow to anger, and good. What lessons do we learn? Well, God judges. Why does He do that? Why does God do that? Well, first of all, because He's jealous. He is jealous for that that belongs to Him. Did you know that if you are a Christian that you belong to Him? That you are His? If you have committed your life to Jesus Christ, then you are His? And the Bible says in Hebrews 13, verse 5, I will never desert you, nor will I ever forsake you. Why? Because you belong to Him. And God is jealous for you. You know what happens to us when a person is saved, when a person commits um, one's life to the Lord? We're placed in the hand of God. We're covered by the blood of Jesus. And we are sealed by the Holy Spirit. I think that's pretty secure. That if I am placed in the hand of God, covered with the blood, and sealed by the Holy Spirit, then I'm protected by Him. And God says, I'll never give you up. He is jealous for His people. He will never give you up. He is avenging because He has the authority, the right to do so. And God is good. And because He is good, sometimes He disciplines His children. I think that we probably would all agree that if a parent never disciplines their children, they're not a good parent. Right? (laughs) A parent who will not discipline their children is not a good parent. And because God loves His children, He disciplines His children. In fact, the Bible says in Hebrews 12, 6, For those whom the Lord loves, He disciplines. My friend, if you can get away with sin and there are no consequences in sin, if I were you, I would be checking my relationship to the Father. Because God disciplines His children. He doesn't discipline the devil's children, but He disciplines His. We respond to God and He responds to us. The Bible says that, When we disobey Him, when we're disobedient to Him, then He's against us. The writer of Hebrews wrote, It is a terrifying thing to fall into the hands of the living God. And uh, whenever we disobey the Lord, whenever we rebel against God, folks, I want you to understand, the Bible says that God is against us. He was against Nineveh. If you look at chapter 2, verse number 13, Behold, I am against you, declares the Lord of hosts. Chapter 3, verse number 5, Behold, I am against you, declares the Lord of hosts. He was against Nineveh because of their rebellion, because of their sin. He was against Sodom and Gomorrah. In Genesis 19:24. Then the Lord rained on Sodom and Gomorrah brimstone and fire. And folks, whenever you and I rebel against God, When we decide that we are going to rebel against His will, then God is against that. I have problems sometimes, and and I do it, but I feel um, awkward about it. You know, we, we sing, God bless America, and I want God to bless America. really do. I love this country with all my heart. Thank God for it. But sometimes I wonder, why should we expect God to bless America when we have responded to God as we have? See, we, we have to understand that God is a just God. He is a righteous God. He's a holy God. And He says He is against sin. 
Oh, but listen, whenever we are obedient to Him, He's for us. And the Scripture says in Romans 8.31, if God is for us, who's against us? Let me conclude. A couple of things I, I believe from this passage of Scripture, first of all, is that God is sovereign. God does what is in keeping with His nature. Some people say God can do anything. No, no God cannot do anything. He cannot do something that is contrary to His nature. So God is sovereign. He does what is in keeping with His nature. But when God made man, He made man with the ability to choose. And when I look at the story of the city of Nineveh, I see that there were two responses at two different times. When Jonah went there and preached the Word of God, the Bible says that they repented and they experienced revival. But then they turned away from God. And when Nahum preaches, it is a message of judgment. Did you know the same thing is true with you? You have two choices available to you as to what you'll do with God. One is that you can reject Him. You can do that. You can reject God, and He will reject you because you rejected Him. Two, you can receive Him, and He will receive you because you received Him. So what's your choice? If you have never received Him, would you today? Would you commit yourself to Him? And if you are his child and you're living a life of disobedience to him, would you stop it? And today say, Father, I am sorry. And from this day forward, I want to live my life for you. Our gracious Father, we come to a time of invitation and ask, Lord, for the moving of the Holy Spirit. Father, I pray for those who have never come to know Jesus that today they might. I pray, Lord, for Christian people who are living ungodly lives, lives that do not honor you, that today they would come to receive your forgiveness and your grace. Bless this invitation time, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. In just a moment, we're going to stand. The choir is going to sing a hymn of invitation, an opportunity for you to trust Jesus. Would you commit your life to Christ today? We'll have staff members here to pray with you. To join the church, we'd love to have you as a part of this family. You come. Stand with me, please, as we sing. As they stand, they sing. You come. I'll greet you as you do.